Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to Marvel's The Pull List for new comics on sale February 27th, 2019. I'm Ryan, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. Tucker, hey. we're going to talk about all the new comics that have come out this week. Print issues, the digital issues, single stuff, collections, all that good stuff. I'm going to start things off with Age of X-Men Extremists. Extremists. <laughs> Number one by Leah Williams, uh, writer. Pencils by George Gianti, inks by Roberto Poggi, and colors by Jim Charlampitas, with letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. I am such a fan of Leah Williams. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. Totally. So good. This one is interesting because it's you know giving us another different glimpse into this Age of X-Men world. Uh, and this one is Department X, which is neat. And they, they're this team of mutants who sort of defend against all kinds of threats uh, and work to make... The perpetrators forget their transgressions, which I think is an interesting thing for, like, this utopian society. Their way of dealing with problems is to make the people forget them, mm-hmm. which is so twisted yeah. and messed up. And then you on top of that, it turns out that the biggest problem that they're dealing with is love. Yeah. And love is just forbidden here. So they're constantly finding these people who just love each other so much that they make them forget and then they these people come back together mm-hmm. because it's so strong and they make them forget and they come back together and it's that's a really interesting just idea. I yeah. love that that nugget. And then you have this really cool team which is Blob, Psylocke, Iceman, Northstar, Jubilee and whom I think is a new character named Moneta and she has this cool weird psychic power but it, it takes a turn that no one on the squad is ready for it. And it's really, it lets Leah write some really funny moments, some great like reactions. She gets really great character dynamics. Yeah. You know, she's just like a very good writer at building a team and a like an ensemble cast and making you just sort of like want to ride along. Totally. With totally agree. Feels, feels real good. Nice. Um, my first book this week is Amazing Spider Man 16. All right, folks, it's starting. This is the start of a really big story arc for the creative team on this one. This is Hunted Prelude. It's written by Nick Spencer with pencils by Ryan Otley and Alberto Albuquerque. Inks by Cliff Rathburn and Alberto Albuquerque. Colors by Laura Martin, Brian Reber, and Carlos Lopez. And letters by VCs Joe Caraman. I think you can tell just by, you know, those credits that like this is the start of something big. There's a lot of work going into this. I actually sat down with Nick Spencer a while ago to talk about this whole story arc. Um, he is a huge fan of Craven the Hunter. We, Have you read Craven's Last Hunt? Yes. So good. Yeah, magnificent. That, uh, oh, yeah, I mean, we, we dove really deep into that, Nick and I, and uh, how that kind of served as inspiration for him, how that was, when he came on to this run of Amazing Spider-Man, like one of the big things he wanted to do and, and touch on, you know, that being a story with Craven. So uh, we're getting it started here. This is the uh, start of something really big for uh, this run. It's really, really exciting. There's fantastic character work right off the bat. I mean, for the first, who knows, three quarters of this issue, it feels like a Craven story. I mean, you don't even see Spider-Man or Peter Parker throughout it. This feels, you know, there are certain stories that feel like they have quite a weight to them that, like, leave certain story elements. Like, I don't want to touch yeah. on them as much. Um, and this feels like one of those stories. I know this is a big one. But to kind of hit on the bigger beats, 
Craven is working alongside Arcade to, uh, you know, craft something pretty ominous, pretty deadly that will be coming, obviously, Spider-Man's way in the long term. And like this is hunted prelude. You know, this is just kind of priming the pump here. This is just getting us started. What's really, really fun for me is finally once we get to see Spider-Man come to the story, he kind of, he's kind of dealing with his own things. You know, we're still kind of seeing what he's up to just in his corner what he's been up to in New York. Um, so this thing is going to, I think, hit him like a truck once the full weight of Craven's plans comes into effect. It's all really kicking off here. There's uh, a handy little checklist in the back of this issue that can give you a nice overview of where this is headed, which issues you're going to need to pick up to to get the full story. And yeah, like I said, trust me, this is a big one. Nick Spencer, he's a huge fan of this character. And, uh, you know, it's very obvious, like how much planning, how much love has been put into to this arc. So I'm really, really excited to see it get started. Uh, one of the things I wanted to point out here is that Hunted, it's going to run in the main book from uh, March through May. Uh, it'll be by Nick and Umberto. Mm-hmm. But there's also these extra bonus issues where they are creating new numbers. Right. 16 through 22, uh, or there's a couple in there. Uh, they're going to be numbered point HU mm-hmm. because we're ridiculous and this is what we do here at marvel uh but these point hu issues are bonus issues focusing on some of the main villains the villain characters in hunted which will be written all of it by nick so he's like so in like really heading this all up but it's kind of great art by ivan coelho ken lashley chris pachalo Corey smith i'm very excited for this and you guys are going to see lots more as well Next book is Avengers No Road Home, number three, written by Al Ewing, Jim Zub, and Mark Wade, with pencils by Paco Medina, inks by Juan Velasco, and colors by Jesus Adbertav, letters by VCs Corey Pettit. And uh, if you are somehow reading this and not reading Immortal Hulk, I hope this sways you over to Hulk as well. Mm -hmm. There's a darkness in the Hulk that we see in this book. And we, we see it in Immortal Hulk, but it's especially cool to see it in this context around these other heroes in the middle of these big Avengers-y situations. Like, the Avengers showed up in Immortal Hulk, but this puts him in... He's on a mission. He's part of this team, but he's still real twisted up. Uh, and it's it's very neat to see. I love the way Paco and Juan depict things from Wanda's point of view, uh, especially here. Like, she gets blinded in the previous issue, and we see the way she perceives things, and mm. some things just stand out to her, which I thought was neat. And like, it's not just total darkness in those panels. There's like this swirling mist blindness thing. Right. It's, it's a really neat effect that I, I, I dug a lot. It's also neat how Nightmare is brought into the story. And is interesting, Tucker, I thought, how that kind of works. He hadn't been in many stories for kind of a while. I don't remember talking about him almost at all last year, maybe. Yeah. And then this is the third or the fourth time We've seen him in the last month or two. We're going to talk about him twice this week. Yeah. It's yeah. sort of like the the collective hive mind yes. sort of builds a character into the comics and we get him for a little flourish. Yeah. That's really I, yeah. neat. Yeah, it's fascinating. The behind the scenes content here is about alternate designs for Nix and her children. This is a very good classic Avenger style story. Totally. Next up is Black Panther number nine. Storytelling is by Ta-Nehisi Coates and Kev Walker with colors by Stefan Petru and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. 
We've spoken at length about the kind of revolving cast of artists on this series over the last few issues. I want to give us one quick special shout out to the cover of this by Daniel Acuna. Just gorgeous stuff. And you could tell based on that cover that we have a really interesting kind of underwater mission kind of story going on here, which is super exciting. Uh, Tanasi has taken the Black Panther and moved him into outer space, the intergalactic empire of Wakanda. So we've gotten to explore the character and how the character's principles and fighting style, everything manifests in this different setting. And we're doing that again here on a kind of smaller individual issue level going underwater. Uh, another thing that is one of my favorite facets of Tanahasi as a comic book writer is his ability, its confidence, its total trust and love for the artists that he works with where he has really extended action sequences or just kind of you know story beats that take place with little to no uh, dialogue or narration at all you're just looking at the art and you're just allowing your eye to be led through the story and you're just taking it all in that way and obviously kev walker one of the best out there so we know that uh you know no matter what we're in good hands and that's something that we we get to experience in this issue that's such a mature writer's ability yeah. to do you know like i know a lot of people who come in from other disciplines of writing or storytelling and they're just first blush they're like i have to put it all on the page yes. yeah. a lot of dialogue a lot of exposition a lot of classic comics have so much exposition and stuff like that but when you know you have such confidence in your artist. You can tell a story. You know how you're building your your tale. What isn't said is almost as important as what is said. Totally. And it's really interesting because kind of uh, new worlds being uncovered and explored with this issue. I'm excited to see how that uh, kind of further manifests as we move forward. Last week, we mentioned to you guys that we're getting these early print versions of the comics. So we're actually seeing the variants and the covers yeah. that we weren't seeing before. One of the things I noticed that this issue of Black Panther also has this really cool variant cover by Disney legend Floyd Norman. And Floyd, uh, he's worked on tons of Disney films from Sleeping Beauty to Jungle Book to modern stuff with Pixar. I believe he was the first like big full-time African-American animator at Disney mm. working on all these projects. I mean, he's done stuff outside of Disney, but his Disney work is like capital D, capital L legend. He was inducted as a Disney legend in 2007. Mm. There's a really cool documentary about him. There's tons of stuff to learn. I love that this we had him doing this Black Panther cover for our 80th anniversary during Black History Month. It just feels so special to totally me. and i had to make a, a, a note about that because i just thought it was cool yeah up next is black panther versus deadpool number five and speaking of awesome variants this has a terrific variant by kyle baker an incredible writer and artist you know another creator who's done so much work across the board his his work can be everything from like this weird twisted photorealistic vibe to high hijinks animated style he yeah. can kind of do anything he's this incredible writer artist done a ton of stuff throughout comics and again another wonderful 
cover to have during Black History Month, during our 80th anniversary for someone who should have a legend spotlight mm-hmm. on him. Uh, but that's the variant cover here. Inside, it's written by Daniel Kibblesmith with art by Ricardo Lopez Ortiz with colors by Felipe Sobrero and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. This one is the end of it. It's just like all thrown out all the stops, having a good time. Kibblesmith actually has a cameo. In this issue, there's lots of silly jokes about their movies, uh, Deadpool and Black Panther's movies, the sales of their comic books. One of the fun things I love, the way Ricardo draws Black Panther's mask. There's one point where he's listening to Deadpool talk and he starts to like understand that Deadpool isn't the worst. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he kind of like sees that there is a heart at the core of Deadpool. And the way the little ears on <laughs> his cowl sort of like go back like he's listening like yeah. an actual cat. It is the best thing. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, next up, we have more from Mr. Tanahasi Coates. This is Captain America number eight. And it is the story is by Tanahasi Coates and Adam Kubert. And look, we we're just talking about it. This is interesting. I mean, I mentioned the credits in the same way the previous story, but I think it's very telling now that we've kind of gone through the discussion of that issue of Black Panther and now we're coming straight back into another Tanasi story here. I think it's very telling that the credits pages don't say written by Tanasi Coates, pencils by, you know, they're not outlined that way. It says, it says in Black Panther, it says in this issue, Captain America, I think it says a lot in in uh, most Tanasi stories, it says it's by Tanasi Coates and Adam Kubert. And that's what it says. I think that's really telling. I'm, I'm, I'm certain given the way uh, that we see these stories are rendered um, and put together, I'm, you know, I would put a lot of money on the fact that that's a director straight from Tanasi himself to kind of present these as a co-production between writer and artist. Uh, the color uh, for this story is by Frank Martin. The letters are by VCs Joe Caramagna. There's some really fascinating work going on currently uh, in this this story arc. It's called Captain of Nothing. This is part two. Thunderbolt Ross kind of recently turned up dead and given a bunch of different circumstances, a bunch of different complexities and swirling characters and and stories, Cap was maybe not implicated in his death, but he was a prime suspect and he's gotten caught up in this web where he is kind of forced, uh, for better or worse, to kind of answer for a lot. There are a lot of different elements at play here with Cap, who's turned himself into this one prison. And there's some really interesting work that goes on in there. But what also I was super excited to see in this issue is Wilson Fisk show up in this story, which I think is really fascinating. I think he's such a, you know, one of the the, the great villains in the Marvel Universe. Uh, and so to have him paired and contrasted with Captain America is so much fun to have him enter. This story is so much fun to have him just written by Tanasi Coates is so much fun. There's a great mixture of kind of real world examination of something like having Cap in this prison, seeing what he, how he uh, deals with himself, with his interior kind of mind and, and, and personhood. But there's also some really great stuff with some mystical elements in this story, which I just love to see, you know, especially with a, a punch and, and, and kick and run hero like Cap. I always love to see that kind of contrast. So there's so much going on in this story right now. It's really, really fun and it's, you know, incredibly well done. Heck yeah. The guy who runs the prison is Baron von Stuttgart, yes. who is this great old school Captain America, Nick Fury villain. His weapon, we don't, he like uses it very briefly in this, but he doesn't mention it. Mm-hmm. The name of his weapon is the Satan Claw. It's this <laughs> big red gauntlet that he has, and it's 
just gnarly yeah. stuff. So it's yeah. cool. All right, up next is Captain Marvel, Braver and Mightier. This is a one-shot written by Jody Hauser, art by Simone Bonfantino, with colors by Eric Arseniega, letters by VCs Travis Lanham. A bunch of cool covers to this one. Uh, it is, it's really good. It's perfect for anyone who just wants a rock-solid Captain Marvel story in this month before the film comes out. You want to go to a comic shop. You want to just get like a sampling of who Captain Marvel is. This is a great single issue. We get her protecting Earth, showing off her powers, being a leader and a badass, but also reflecting on her life in a great way that gives a snapshot of who she is, where she's come from. It's really neat. And because, of course, it's written by Jody Hauser, there is definitely a Star Wars mention in here. <laughs> Next book is Cloak and Dagger, Negative Exposure, number three. This is the third Marvel Digital original issue in this volume. Wrapping up the series by Dennis Hopeless Hallam with art by Ruari Coleman and Francesco Mana. Colors by Giada Marchisio and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. Do you like giant Lovecraftian nightmare monsters? This has one. Mm. Uh, and it's really, really neat. Plus some beasts and a fun and twisted Mr. Negative helping to destroy the world. The Mr. Negative stuff in here is, is really cool. Also, of course, there's smooching. There's jilted lovers. Wonderful cloak and dagger team up moments. Uh, I think this book is really going to click for folks when they read it as one story. It'll be out in trade paperback soon. Uh, all three issues, which are sort of the size of six issues. Mm -hmm. You get jam-packed stuff when you check out an MDO. It's all on... Uh, the Marvel Comics app. Big suggestion here. I think it's really, really fun. Nice. Uh, next up is my first pick of the week. It is Daredevil number two, and it's number one for me in terms of alphabetically speaking, but it is neither no a number one or a number two it, speaking in another way. Uh, what just happened? It is, in fact, gold and not number one or number two, if you know, speaking my language. Uh Anyway, this is written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Marco Coquetto, colors by Sonny Go, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Uh, this may be the first of a real tasty double chip dip this week. Uh, we'll revisit that in, I'm going to say, minutes. you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say three minutes and 57 seconds. Oh, time do, it. Do the math. Time it, trips. Do the math. It's in two books. I think it's possible. This is No Fear Part 2. And, you know, we talk about this all the time after a big number one hits and we kind of get to see the big broad strokes of where uh, a creative team is taking a character, a hero, what direction they're going in. And then with issue number two, it's, it's almost even more fascinating for me in a way because we get to see which colors are, are kind of enriching and which directions are kind of pushed harder. There's a really interesting thing examination here of course not just of daredevil in the aftermath of the really rough few months that he's had since the turn of the year and not just really amazing work going on with the kind of classic supporting cast of characters for a daredevil story but there's also something fascinating happening with the complexities and the nature of Matt Murdock and daredevil's work not just in the mere fact that it's okay he's the law-abiding lawyer and he's the vigilante hero, but in a way that's like, as the vigilante hero, he uses violence. He uses mm -hmm. violence to create, you know, a better city, a better neighborhood in Hell's Kitchen. There's an interesting examination of that kind of catch-22 here, which is so much fun to dig into. And that ties directly uh, into 
Matt's religion, to his relationship with the church, to his relationship with himself, and certainly, like I said, with a lot of the other characters that we have in this story. It's really, really great stuff. Chip is just, you know, he's just nailing every issue that he writes, and this is much the same Really, really fascinating to see uh, how those colors, like I said, get even deeper, get even richer as we move forward. And really, really interesting uh, ending to this issue as well. Yeah. 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 This was nearly one of my picks of the week. You took it first, so you got it, but we both loved it. All right. Up next is Fantastic Four number seven. This Saad Rubik cover is just the best thing ever. But inside, it is written by Dan Slott with art by Aaron Cooter and John Lucas. Colors by Marte Gracia and Michelle Rosenberg. Letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. We got Doom's plans, and they are a riot. Yeah. I love Doctor Doom. I love Dan Slott writing Doctor Doom. It's Doom and the FF versus Galactus. So many fun moments. You can tell that Dan has a blast writing the citizens of Latveria, the people around the world reacting to the battle, the regular people who populate around the wild stuff in addition to all the wild stuff. There's a scene at Ampetunia's that is just a delight. Mm. Cooter. Just incredible. The way he draws the Latvian countryside, the way Doom's cape and hood move, the cosmic majesty of Galactus, it's tasty. Also, isn't there a, a Bill Sienkiewicz variant for this one? There sure is. Oh, man, is yeah. it good. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's all like weird, stretchy uh, uh, Mr. Fantastic. It's so cool. Yeah, love it. It's like a self-portrait of you. Oh, thanks. I believe this should be spot on to the second, three minutes and 50. Oh! You are early! Oh, wow! 30 seconds later, and now we're perfect! <laughs> All right, I think we're pretty dang close here. Anyway, we have come to the second dip of this delicious chip double dip. This is my second pick of the week. This is Invaders number two, another great second issue from Chip and the rest of the creative team, uh, which includes Carlos Magno with Butch Geis, colors by Alex Guimares, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. You know, reading this story was really fun because, yes, we have this fascinating dynamic between the invaders, or I guess what you could call them, you know, as the former members of the invaders, because in a lot of ways they're at odds now much more than they are a team. And again, there's a really fascinating back and forth kind of dynamic between the past and the present happening here. And I think there's a really, really wonderful and subtle work being done between those things as we see how these characters' histories are impacting them to this day. There is a really, really awesome, though, throwdown in this issue between underwater Captain America and Namor the Submariner. It is awesome. It is so cool. I loved seeing it. I just think it worked perfectly. And one of the big things that I was thinking as I was reading this issue, and it's certainly not shocking in, you know, Invaders number one is one of my favorite individual issues of the last few months. But I love Chip's Captain America specifically. I think he has such a command of the kind of solemnity and seriousness, but also just kind of genial, like good guy that Cap is at the heart of this character. Uh, and it really, it, it examines some dramatic moments, like with the best of them. I mean, it is so much fun to see this kind of web of these different characters, Cap, Namor, Bucky, Jim Hammond, all kind of weaving in and out of the past, the present, 
weaving in and out of each other. It's just so much fun. Yeah. And with Namor, like building his power base, mm-hmm. there's just so many little fun things and the inclusion of Hydro Man mm-hmm. in this issue. It was just like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Like, that's just a neat idea. Uh, I loved it. All right. Up next is Marvel Comics Presents number two, three stories up in here. And this one is uh, sort of set in the 50s. Each issue of this is going to be in a different decade with different sort of things around it. First one is our big spotlight main story that runs across every issue. It is a Wolverine story and it's called Wolverine the Vigil. And this is part two written by Charles Soule, pencils by Paulo Soqueira, inks by Oren Jr., uh, colors by Frank Dermata, and letters by VCs. Joe Caramagna. Uh, It's neat because every 10 years you have Logan along with a woman from a family who has these magical abilities. They have to battle a demon called the truth or else it will destroy the world. I like the demon's design because it looks like this gnarly sort of zombie dude. Yeah. But Paolo makes him look intentionally evil and menacing, not just like shambling. He's very formidable and, and freaky looking. It's really cool. Looking forward to that one continuing. The second story is uh, about mostly, I mean, it's a Fantastic Four story. You've got Mr. Fantastic at the heart of it, along with Ben Grimm and uh, Victor Von Doom. But it is set in the 50s and the Marvel Age stories that from each issue sort of look around the periphery of a real-world event and place a Marvel story here. Mm -hmm. And this one is neat because it's set against 50s Cold War space race stuff. It fits into the original 60s timeline. When Fantastic Four came out in 1961, this being set in like 1957 makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's really neat. Third and final story in the issue is the Marvel Spotlight stories, sort of spotlighting a specific character. This one is about Gorilla Man, who first showed up in uh, the you know in, in the fifties during Atlas Comics time. It's uh, it gives us a bit about his powers, his origins, his personality. You can see Gorilla Man now in the pages of Avengers, so it's cool to see him in this little spotlight. Totally. Next up is Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur number forty. It's written by Brandon Montclair with art by Natasha Bustos, colors by Tom Bondelan, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. Look, Lunella Lafayette, she's the smartest person in the world. She's an amazing hero. But look, at the end of the day, she's a kid. And you know what? Kids have like these crazy roller coaster energy energies, right? Where they're hyper as heck sucking on lollipops and getting the sugar high and then they're all tuckered out next second tuckered out one of my favorite phrases by the way love to hear it anyway lunella has been battling this kind of drowsiness that is starting to take over her life in, in, in in new york in different ways and what is super fun is we've been examining her journey into the dream dimension which is so much fun alongside uh in this issue we get to see her interact with dr strange with Sleepwalker, with Bats, and, of course, the aforementioned Nightmare. Nightmare! Nightmare! Do you have, or have you at any point in your life had, like, a recurring nightmare kind of thing? Yes. Ooh. Yeah. Too dark for a podcast. <laughs> no, it's, I don't know that I have details to give, but yeah. I know that, like, there are things They've that been there. happen over and over again. I'm trying to, th- I definitely haven't had recurring ones, but, like, when I think about, like, what are some landmark nightmares I've had in my life, or at least ones for one reason or another that I've stuck in my mind. There's one where I was like at this giant mall 
and I was swimming in this big swimming pool and I, there were orca whales in the big swimming pool and I splashed one and it like chased me. Whoa. So oh. <laughs> I think I had that when I was like eight years old and I still think about it. I used to have recurring, not nightmare, but dream mm-hmm. about having an Iron Man suit, mm-hmm. but like the original comic book, like silver one right, right, right. and flying above my house where I grew up. And this is mostly when I was younger, and I was not an Iron Man fan huh. growing up. Like I knew the character, but didn't read any of his comics. Right. Um, wow, just gorgeously on brand yeah. dream there dream for, for Kitty, Kitty Ryan. Uh, anyway, what I love most about this story is the incredible art that we get to see here because we are kind of in the dream dimension because the reality and unreality is kind of mixing in fascinating ways we get to see the moon girl angle of everything which is always just a dang delight mixed in with these more fantastical elements which is always something i love mixed with just the amazing colors you know natasha and tamra just crushing it it is so much fun there's some awesome monster work that's going on in here. And when you mentioned a kind of um, Lovecraftian monster, speaking of that, there's some, there's a kind of vibe of that in here, which I really love, but like in the perfect moon girl, devil dinosaur kind of color and tone and everything. I love this monster. Cause it also feels like it would have been right out of the pages of like journey into mystery or tales to astonish or something yes. like that. in like the early sixties, it is called, the being from the bottom of the black hole. Come on. And I love Tamra's colors because it the colors totally change it to something modern. Yes. Uh, which I think is such a wonderful twist on to- it. Totally agree. Uh, specifically, this story arc's interesting cast of supporting characters that have kind of jumped on board just makes it the best. Yeah. All right, up next is one of, almost one of my picks, is Savage Sword of Conan number two. Mm. And for those of you who are getting on that Conan train, we have just released an episode of This Week of Marvel where I sat down with editor uh, Mark Basso to talk about Conan in more depth, like a lot of detail about how this all comes together, who Conan is, what Conan is. And so if you don't know a lot about Conan, I highly suggest you check out that episode of This Week in Marvel and just read these books because they're so fun. Uh, in what I learned, I don't know if we talked about this recently, Tucker, but there were over 600 issues of Conan produced at Marvel from 1970 to 2000. Wow. That's so that many comics. crazy. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. Uh, it is fascinating to me. And I, you know, now we're getting into it and by our modern creators, and it's so fun. On this book, writer Jerry Duggan, art by Ron Garney, colors by Richard Eisenhoff, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. And I love this. So Jerry Duggan, having the best time. Mm-hmm. He delivers one-liners and like quotes in here, like I pet cats. Yeah, totally. Often and with glee, and he's just <laughs> going to town. He's one of them is, quote, wizards bleed too. It's yeah. just this... Conan ready to kill some wizards. This other one is quote I love. My forgiveness is irrelevant. Go ask Crom. I love it. I love it. <laughs> it, it. It feels like a book just built around just the word epic. Yeah. Just like how do you make everything just like, oh, yeah. You yeah. know, it just page after page. Ugh. That line in particular reminded me of that Unforgiven yep. line I think I've mentioned before. Yep. Deserves got nothing to do with it. <laughs> yeah. which is just, I think I need to get that tattooed on me at <laughs> some point. Yeah. Just because it's so good. This makes me even more jazzed for Savage Avengers, though, which if you don't know, listeners, is this new comic series coming in May, written by Jerry Duggan, art by Mike Diodato Jr., but it has Conan 
in the Marvel Universe with this book that's going to have Punisher and Venom and all kinds of... Co- mm, so excited. Jerry's writing that book. Uh, Jerry's writing this. He's having the best time. In this, Conan fights some priests, sees some trees made of burning bodies, mm. which is real messed up. Uh, he breaks into a library. It's super fun and really gnarly looking. Next up is Star Wars Dr. Afra number 29. It's written by Simon Spurrier with art by Emilio Laiso, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Look, Afra is, she's on the run. There is some really great stuff happening with Dr. Evazan as kind of this perennial big bad figure. He's come back yet again. But what I really loved specifically about this issue is something, it's just one of my favorite core elements of Star Wars. There's just so many different little things where you just know if it makes sense in Star Wars. It, it, it's, man, anytime I talk about something Star Wars, I just find myself like running down a hallway and they're just doors, you know, open like everywhere. And I just like have to resist running down them and going on like a 30 minute <laughs> tirade about different things. But one of my favorite things about it is examining the underworld in a lot of ways. I think this issue specifically reminded me of some really super fun, like almost Blade Runner inspired kind of like ground level of this city that has an inherent darkness to it. The characters on the run kind of weaving in and out of, of different bad guys and different elements that are chasing them. And uh, Afra is doing that very thing. He reminds me in, in another way of, Attack of the Clones and a lot of the stuff in that story, but we are uh, at a place called Milvain City. You know, it's super fun. There's and there's kind of a, uh, a what is what is that called? Like at a at a county fair where you're in a sack and you got to run sack race. Yeah, that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> there feels like a sack. Is like, there something else <laughs> that you're not telling? Like, is there something well, like a three leg race? With? Like that's another version of it. No, that's what I'm thinking. Sack race, you do, race, you're tied together. Yes, though. that's what I mean. Sack race, you do alone. Imagine. I don't know. I've not not participated in either of these. <laughs> I mean, you know what? I, I kind of like combined sack race with like a three leg race where you like tie your kind of left leg to someone else's right leg or your right leg to someone else's left leg. Look, <laughs> I don't want whatever to say, floats, whatever your, boat. floats your boat. Okay. Um, <laughs> I got it that mixed up. I kind of thought like. It would be two people putting one leg in a burlap sack and then like I guess you could as well, right? Another way of doing it. It'd have to be a shorter <laughs> sack because uh, there's a whole lot of like yeah. variables you have to play around with. Uh, anyway, uh, it feels like... like this uh, has been sack talk here yeah. on Marvel's of Fullest. <laughs> uh, more uh, coming up soon with Old Man Quill number three for um, sacks talk written by Ethan Sachs. Anyway, Very uh, <laughs> love it huge fan of Afro and it's a great issue. I was giving uh, a comedian a tour of Marvel headquarters mm-hmm. today, the day we were recording. She is a huge Star Wars Dr. Afro fan, Star Wars fan, comic fan. And so we stopped into the editorial offices and she was talking to one of the editors about Star Wars and they were just talking about how great it is to have Afra as just this big front and center LGBTQ character who is not just a perfect sunshine perfect flower yeah she is flawed she is damaged she is terrible at times she's someone you root for you also like hate like she is a fully formed character as she should be and having that and also she is this wonderful character that someone can relate to in another different way you know that we don't often have in comics just tremendous. Totally. It made me so happy. Yeah totally. Uh, Just listening to that conversation. Anyway up next is Supai Supai 
Uh -oh. My brain just broke. <laughs> Super you wanted to go in Spider-Man direction. I really do. Yeah. I want Spider-Man. <laughs> is Superior Spider-Man number three, and this is my first pick of the week, uh, written by Christos Gage, art by Mike Hawthorne and Wayne Von Grawbadger, colors by Jordi Belair, letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. This is just my jam. Superior Spider-Man, a.k.a. Doc Ock, in his super fit Spidey clone body, has access to Terax's power cosmic. And it just becomes this knockdown, drag-out brawl, a slobber knocker, oh, yeah. if you will, in San Francisco. You know, Terax being a former herald of Galactus, it's real fun. There's just, like, Christo's writing these bold proclamations of power and, like, I'm going to beat you up, but, like, much better. Yeah, there's, like, I believe there was at least one alas oh, in yeah. here. No. Oh, yeah. So good. Uh, just big, fun comic book action. On Hawthorne, man, he just draws a really cool but slender and strong Spidey. He makes this Spidey kind of look like an Olympic swimmer. Look at the shoulders in particular and, the you know, the way those – men and women their bodies and like they have to have such strong upper arms mm -hmm. to propel themselves and that's like that's the way mike draws spidey here it's so cool and his terax is kind of terrifying mm -hmm. uh, especially when he's being ripped apart there's this part in the, the book where spidey is like harnessing that power cosmic and he's with terax the power cosmic allows him to manipulate earth you know like mm -hmm. sort of a blanket statement of earthy properties so stone and gravel and you know the the ground and so he's able to start pulling off terax's skin because terax is basically made of stone and it is wild it mm -hmm. is so cool there's also <laughs> this awesome panel where spidey is using the power cosmic and he's blasting him it is very dragon ball z <laughs> the way he blasts him uh, i just i loved it and i really love the ending and the possibilities that it presents as the series continues this is one of my favorite books right now yeah. i'm just having a blast with it all right up next my last book of the week and my second pick of the week is west coast avengers number eight this is written by kelly thompson art by gang hyuk lim who usually does covers. He's done a couple of interiors. He did Infinity Countdown Darkhawk, some of an issue of Tony Stark Iron Man. But he's in here doing all the art, the letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. But Gang Hyuk Lim, it's like a revelation. Yeah, it's like one fan. of those issues where you just step back and go, what is happening? Mm -hmm. It's just neat. And the, the way he does all this, it looks so different from his cover work. He yeah, has a, at least a cover or two on stands this week. You can look at his other stuff. It just, it's so different. I think it's it's him mixing manhwa. I think that's how you say it, manhwa, which is the Korean comic style mm. with European bits. And I could like really definitely see bits of Mobius and Milo Manara in there, like that eloquent style along with, and this is the part that I love, Kevin Maguire, who is just this legendary artist. He's amazing work. His mastery of facial expressions and comedic acting, he like Gengyuk pulls this all together and then adds it to like just his own way of doing comics. Mm -hmm. And it's so good. There's a shot of Kate Bishop doing air quotes and the way she's like her shoulders are moving, her face is scrunched up, like the whole setting of that panel is terrific. And like I love his action sequences too. Yeah. You know, we've got Gwenpool slicing and dicing hench dudes. And there's, you know, funny stuff in here too with the lettering. It's like 
the lettering actually says like slice, dice, slice again. Mm-hmm. It's really funny. It fits the book so well. I think this this is probably my favorite issue period of the week, but especially from a visual standpoint. But it also has Jeff the Baby Landshark. Yeah. And it's got smooching and it's got secret cult baddies. It is so great. Kelly, week in, week out, continues to thrash me by her amazing work on comics. And this week she is joined by Gang Hyuk. And this is dynamic. And we just announced that Gang Hyuk Lim is working with Greg Pak on the uh, Agents of Atlas book Mm -hmm. that is coming during War of the Realms. This got me so incredibly hyped for that, which I was already hyped for. It's amazing. I'm yeah. so I'm so excited. So awesome. Uh, wrapping up on sale this week is X Force number three. It is written by Ed Brisson with art by Dylan Burnett, colors by Jesus Abertov, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. This is Sins of the Past Part Three. We have X Force journeying into Transia on a mission, but of course they're the kind of you know, they're more hammer than scalpel to put it in Mission Impossible <laughs> Fallout terms, um, <laughs> which is uh, something that I like am kind of revisiting in different ways on a weekly basis. What? Uh, recently watched the full film with commentary by director Christopher McQuarrie with Tom Cruise. And now I'm like halfway through the full film again with commentary by Christopher McQuarrie and editor Eddie Hamilton. So I'm in deep and I'm not coming out anytime soon. <laughs> At what point do you do your Mission Impossible Fallout Minute podcast? <laughs> oh, man. You know what those are? Yeah. Oh, okay. come on. I don't just make sure. Seriously. Yeah, uh, uh, X-Force, of course, is Cable, Domino, Shatterstar, Warpath, Cannonball, Deathlock. They're kind of teaming up in a way. They're infiltrating Transia, taking out some uh, baddies who are high up over there. They've kind of finally reached this Transian military base, and they've come up against some awesome mech defenses, which is really cool. There's some really fantastic art in this series and, and really in this issue. Dylan Burnett is a recent favorite of mine. I love his style. Uh, and not just because he was the first Marvel Comics artist to render the the very planet named after yours truly in Cosmic Ghost Rider. No, no, which no. Which is called? Which is called... Marcus Centauri. Marcus Centauri. I was like, I, I didn't know if you were just having a funsy <laughs> or if you totally forgot it. No, no, no. I just blanked out for a second. But anyway, I also just love Ed's villains in this series in particular because they're just so villainy and in the best ways. And kind of, uh, there's even a villain here who has like a half mutilated face, like half kind of normally face, much like Mission Impossible Fallout. <laughs> I bought the movie because I liked it. I just haven't rewatched it. Again. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh man. I'm gonna slowly turn Marvel's pull list into the Mission Impossible minute by minute <laughs> podcast. I can't wait. Uh, I also love Ed's work with Cannonball and Boom Boom in that issue. Mm-hmm. I think he he nails those characters really really well. I'm excited for more of this. I think this is my favorite of his like X Men team stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm really digging it. Totally. Uh, collections on sale this week include Deadpool Classic Volume 23, Mercs for Money, 
Infinity Wars, Sleepwalker, hey, Sleepwalker, back again, Iron Fist, Deadly Hands of Kung Fu, The Complete Collection, Marvel Knights, Punisher by Pierre and Gutierrez, Taxi Wars, Mr. and Mrs. X, Volume 1, Love and Marriage. Highly suggested, real good, real good, real good. Oh, yeah. Spider-Geddon, Covert Ops, and Typhoid Fever. And as we mentioned, uh, Cloak and Dagger Negative Exposure number three is a Marvel digital original, so it is right now only available on the Marvel app or the Comixology app. Digital collections, so again, more Marvel adventures, collections being added to the Marvel app, so if you uh, if you want to get those, check them out. Also, Spider-Man, the newspaper strips, volumes one and two, for purchase on the app, which is really, really neat. On Marvel Unlimited, I was looking at this earlier, we added a bunch of 1970s Nova issues along with Mr. and Mrs. X number two. So if you haven't picked up, uh, if you want to dive into the trade, you could read the first two issues to get a sampling of those. Some cool Marvel fanfares from back in the day and lots, lots more. We're going to have the full list for you on the new story that goes along with this episode and plenty more. If you want to talk to Tucker about Mission Impossible Fallout, uh, where can they find you, Tucker? Uh, you can find me in Astoria, Queens. Nope. Uh, no, that's Social not what you media. meant. <laughs> I am on Twitter at Tucker Marcus. That's Marcus with a K. What yeah. about you? Uh, Agent M. Uh, As can, if people don't know. You, you never know. <laughs> so remember, it's always someone's first time joining in on the show. Yeah, and we have Triple P, our perturbed producer, Persia, who I have keep referring to. <laughs> that's it for this episode. We'll be back next week with tons more comics. I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. This is Marvel. Your Universe.